Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was explaining that the Christian life for most people has to do with a life of obedience, that that is the objective of many people's lives who are religious, who say that they are Christians, who are wanting to know the Lord Jesus or have a relationship with him or follow him in some way, that it's all about obedience. And they will often refer to Adam and say that the fall of humanity occurred because of disobedience. And then they will refer to the law of Moses and the children of Israel and show that they were not successful because of their disobedience. Jesus came and he told people that they were hypocrites because they were not obedient, that they needed to be obedient, and their disobedience was the problem. I was explaining in the previous program that obedience is everything to people. For the most part, that is what people are focused on, is how do we get people to be obedient? Well, when people are confronted with the complete forgiveness that has been provided by the Lord Jesus then this can be a very serious problem for people because it goes against everything that they believe about the Christian life. Forgiveness interferes with people's beliefs concerning the Christian life. Because if we have been forgiven, if God no longer holds our sins against us at all, if that's true then the law has no place in our lives anymore because there is no sin that we can commit that has not already been forgiven. All of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. And if that's true, then the law has no place in our life. Then obedience has no place in our life. And this is a real struggle for people, and it's an important struggle. It's a very important struggle to have. It's something that every Christian needs to be confronted with. But what happens is, is that out of fear, out of tremendous fear, people then turn back to the law. They don't move forward and see what is on the other side of forgiveness. What is on the other side is a completely new and different way of life that has nothing to do with obedience or repentance. It has everything to do with love and acceptance and rest and peace in the living God. What people need to do is they need to go back again to Adam and realize that the real issue had nothing to do with Adam's obedience or disobedience. It had to do with what he believed. That was the real issue. The real issue was that Adam did not believe God. Now, what did God tell Adam? He told Adam that if he ate from the wrong tree, he would die. That's what he said. He would die. And he was referring to a spiritual death. I understand that there was a physical death that happened afterwards, but that was more an act of mercy than anything, because this is not heaven, and the only way out of here is physical death. It was the spiritual death that God was referring to. That was the real penalty, to be separated from God. For Adam to be created in such a way that the living God dwelled within him, and then to lose that, 
That is the ultimate penalty. This is a life or death issue. That's what it is. But instead of it being a life and death issue, people have been believing that it is a disobedience or obedience issue. And it isn't. It has to do with life and death. The death of humanity occurred because of the fall of Adam. Adam did not believe God, and so he died. Abraham believed God, and he was declared to be righteous. Jesus told us that if we were going to do the works of God, that we needed to believe in God and the one who he had sent. It's all about belief. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul speaks about this issue. He speaks about it by making the transition from the concerns of law and sin and obedience to the issue of life and death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That's the question. And he says, May it never be. We are not to continue in sin so that we can have more grace and mercy. That's not what grace and mercy was given for. Grace and mercy was given to meet the deepest needs of our hearts so that we would not sin. That is what it was given for. And people need to use the grace and mercy of God for the purpose that God gave it. If they do not, then they might as well not even be saved. They might as well not even know that there is a God because there is nothing outside of the grace and mercy of God. Now, I want to point out that he doesn't say that we are to then continue in the law in order to ensure that we do not use grace inappropriately. That's not what he says. That's what a lot of other people say, that we are to continue in the law to ensure that we do not misuse the grace of God. But that's not what he said. He said, may it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, when people get focused on this idea of repentance and obedience and law, they are stuck between the time that Adam was exposed to the knowledge of good and evil and the time that Jesus died on the cross, not realizing that they need to expand their understanding a little bit and realize that there was a spiritual death that had occurred when Adam refused to believe God and Jesus rose from the dead so he could restore the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. And the way that we receive that is not by our obedience. It has nothing to do with obedience or disobedience. It has to do with belief. Now, you do need to obey in that regard. Your obedience is to believe him, to believe. That is the obedience. Now, it is to believe in what he has said, to believe in what he has done. Then you can be the recipient of the free gift of the life of God, the Holy Spirit that he has provided. And when you receive that gift that he is offering to everyone freely, when you receive that, then you are resurrected. So the real issue has nothing to do with people being disobedient and how do we get them to be obedient. The real issue is that we have people who are dead and how do we make them alive? That's why he makes this transition from this question. He says, you're asking this question and this question has nothing to do with the real issues. Nothing to do with it. He says in verse 2, may it never be to say that we are not to use it inappropriately, but we are to use it appropriately. He makes the transition and he uses the subject of baptism to describe the life and death issue. Now, do not be distracted 
by this subject of baptism that he uses here. I did a complete series on the subject of baptism, and of course I would like to encourage you to listen to that series from start to finish, where I talk about the history of baptism before John the Baptist, how it was viewed and understood when John was baptizing people, and how it was used in order to explain other truths that our God wants us to know and understand. And this is one of them. He uses baptism in order to talk about something else. So do not be distracted by baptism. Do not get your focus on baptism in the sense of how were you baptized, in what way, in what name. That's not why he uses baptism. He uses it to speak of something else, and it is this something else that you need to be focusing on. So beginning in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Do not get focused on the subject of baptism. Understand that he's using it to tell you about the newness of life that there is another life that we are to walk in. We are to walk in something entirely different. Yes, the people were baptized, and he is using that in order to describe this. But whether you are baptized in water or not has nothing to do with the newness of life that we have been called to. In fact, baptism was used in order to describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the baptism in water. And when you receive the Holy Spirit you are effectively baptized by the Holy Spirit. But what he's talking about here is not the spiritual baptism. He's talking about the physical baptism that can be used in order to describe the spiritual truth that we are to believe. It is the spiritual truth of life and death that we have now been made alive, that you are to now believe and you are now to walk in. You are not to go back and walk in the law. And you are not to go and walk using the grace of God for a purpose that he never intended. He's saying, do not go back into religion of the unrighteous, and do not go back into the world of ungodliness. Do not do either. There is something entirely different, and you now have the door open to you to walk through, so walk through it and walk in the newness of life. And what is this newness of life if it is not the law? And what is this newness of life if it is not the world? It is something else. It is not a life of disobedience in the world, and it is not a life of attempted obedience in the law in religion. It is something entirely different. But people need to understand that this is a life or death issue. So he continues in verse 5. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 5, where he says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if you are dead in Christ, then you are no longer alive to the world. If you are dead in Christ, you are no longer alive to the law. And if you are no longer alive to the law, 
then the law cannot stir up sin in your life as it once did. I explained this in the previous program, that the law stirs up sin. This was spoken of by Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. I explained this in the previous program. So you have been set free from the law because you are dead to the law. Now, I know what it is to live a life under the law. I've done that. I've been there, done that, bought that T-shirt. I know what that's about. And I can tell you that there is nothing but death there. Absolutely nothing. But the only reason why I can say that with conviction is because I did see the door that was open to me through the grace and mercy of God through his forgiveness. And I walked through it to experience what was on the other side of it. And so I know what the new life is in the context of the new covenant, in the context of the grace and mercy of God. So knowing that, I can actually look back and see what my life was like under the law, and I can see that it was death, that it was empty, that there was nothing there. Even though, while I was in the middle of it, I thought that that was was it, that that was what life was all about, that that was what God called me to. I had no idea that there was something entirely different until after He showed me, until after I trusted and believed in His forgiveness that set me free from the law, it was only then that he opened up my eyes so I could see through his eyes what he wanted to show me. And the difference between what I have now versus what I had before is definitely best illustrated by talking about it in terms of life and death, because that is the difference. And I want to encourage you to pursue this. Because one day, I really believe, you will see what I'm talking about. You will know that what I say is true that you have died to the world and you have died to the law. He has set you free through his forgiveness and through his resurrection by resurrecting you. Again, in verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if it is the law that stirs up sin, then you have also been set free from the law. Why? Because you are dead to it. And that's what I tell people when people try to put me back under the law. They say things like, you know, Aaron, we really got to obey his commandments. We really have to live a life of repentance and obedience. All I have to say is, you know what? I am dead to that. I am totally dead to that. And it sounds like I'm totally dead to you also. That if we were to compare each other, I would say, you are dead and I am alive. Now, they, of course, would look at me differently. They would say that I was dead and they were alive. I understand that. But I have to say it because that's the truth, that there is a complete distinction between the two. In verse 8, Romans chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So please get in touch with this and understand this. And that is that he died for sin once and for all. As far as he's concerned, it's over. Now you might find that a little surprising because you probably hear a lot of people who speak in his name and they keep talking about it like it's not over. They want to keep it alive. They want to keep it going. They want to keep you focused on it. Why? Because they have no idea what they're talking about. Or if they do, they're intentionally lying to you because they want to put you back under the law. But if Jesus died for sin once and for all, 
There is no longer any penalty that can be invoked against you ever again for your sin. And if there is no penalty, then there is no law. What does that sound like if a law or a commandment says, obey or this is the consequence? Well, if the consequence has been dealt with, if the consequence has been fulfilled, then there is no law anymore. There is no commandment anymore. It is meaningless because there is no obey or anything because there is nothing. And if there is nothing, then obedience means nothing. And that's important. That's critical to understand that obedience truly means nothing. There is nothing there. The only thing that is, is life and death. The only thing that will remain is you and Jesus. Not you and your obedience, but you and the person. You and your God. That is all that will remain. In verse 11, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Well, how did it reign in your life before? The way that it reigned in your life before was through the law. That was how it happened. I explained in the previous program how the law stirs up sin. The only way you can be set free from sin is if you are set free from the law. That is the only way. In verse 14, I'm going to skip ahead for a moment into Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Listen to that. You are not under law, but under grace. That means that if you are under the law, sin is your master. So he had to set you free from the law. Otherwise, sin would be your master. But now that he has set you free from the law, he can be your master. You cannot have both. You can't have both God and the commandments, even the commandments that he gave. You can't live according to both. There is a different way of life under each one of those. One leads to death and emptiness because of the sin that it stirs up within you. And the other is something totally different that is based on his love and acceptance, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And you cannot have both. You have to let go of one to receive the other. But if you choose to keep the law in your life, if you choose to embrace it, then sin will be your master. You will be a slave of sin. And that's what I hear from people when they tell me things like, Brother, we've got to live a life of obedience. All I can say is, Brother, you do not know your God. You are dead to your God. Sin is your master. Jesus is not your master. You may claim that Jesus is your master, but there is no way for him to be your master because you are still looking to the law to be your master. And people say, well, he gave us the law. And I say, yes, he did, but he did it so that sin would increase, so that you would have more sin. So you want to talk about getting sin out of your life? You've got it totally wrong. You've got it completely backwards. You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't understand that he had to resolve the question of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? And that is why he gave the law, to resolve that question. So that we would go back to Adam not believing God and dying and realizing that we are now to believe in what our God has done so that we can live. And now that we can be resurrected, we can begin to live. 
We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, and to do that, you have to consider yourself to be dead to the law. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what people end up doing, if they don't understand this, is they look at verse 13 and they say things like, Listen, you need to really gut it out. You need to really be committed. You really need to be devoted. And you need to present yourself to righteousness and not to sin. But to do that, they completely ignore everything that he's talking about here. That was expressed in chapter 5, verse 20. That was expressed in chapter 6, verse 14. They have to ignore everything. They have to completely ignore it all and isolate these verses in order to use them to support their point of view, which is totally an error. There is something entirely different here that I want you to try to understand, and that is that you have been set free from the law so that you can have a personal relationship with your God, so that you can present yourself to Him, so that you can be righteous because you believe in Him, not because you didn't engage in sin, but because you believe in Him, because that is the righteousness that was explained, that was revealed through Abraham. Abraham was righteous, not because he was obedient, but because he believed. So you also will have the righteousness of God because you believe. Believe what? Believe the truth that he has revealed to you, just as Abraham believed the truth that was revealed to him. What did he reveal to you? You have been forgiven. You have been set free from the law. Believe that. Walk in that. Live your daily life knowing that that is true and make your decisions and let them be a reflection of that truth, of your commitment, of your devotion to believe. That's all you've got to do is just believe that what he has said is true. And if you will believe, then you will be a living testimony that he is believable, that he is trustworthy, that his righteousness is the only righteousness that truly exists, that his righteousness is all that will ever remain, that the righteousness that you have is not based on your obedience, has nothing to do with that, but it has to do with your trusting and believing in Him. And He declares you to be righteous because of that. You want to talk about sin? You want to talk about avoiding sin? Or letting go of sin? Or saying no to sin? That is a side effect of this. That is not the goal. But it is a side effect. If you are loved by your God, you're not going to be tempted to sin because you have been deceived into believing that you're going to be loved because of your commission of sin. No, there's something entirely different. That if you will rest in your God, if you will rest in the truth, if you will abide in Him, if you will just believe Him, then He will give you peace in your heart. He will give you rest in your soul. And He will transform you from the inside. I understand that. And this can be reflected in your behavior in the world, in the reduction in sin in your life. I understand that. But this is not the goal The goal is so that you will see his love. You will know your God. You will know his love for you. You will know his acceptance for you. That is the goal. 
the goal is to know the Lord and to have a relationship with Him on the basis of this truth and on the basis of who He is and on the basis of what He has for you. That is what He has called you to. Do not let sin be master over you. But the only way that you can ensure that sin will not be master over you is if you say no to the law, if you turn away from the law. For you are not under law, you are under grace. Discover what grace is and live according to the truth of the grace of God. Use grace for the purpose that he gave it for and you will not be disappointed. Use it for a reason that it was not given for and you might as well not have the grace of God at all. In other words, for those who use the grace of God as an excuse to sin, they might as well not have the grace of God at all. In fact, for those people, it wouldn't matter if they had the grace of God or they had the law of God because they're not observing the law anyway and they're not following through with the value of his grace and mercy. And so what's the point? What's the purpose? But even when you consider those who are trying to live a life in obedience to the law, they also are using the grace of God for a purpose that it wasn't given for. They use the grace of God as what they turn to when they do fall short when trying to live in obedience to the commandments. They do their best, they try, they obey, they repent and obey, but when they fail, then they turn to the grace of God to make up for the difference. They might as well not have the grace of God at all in their lives because, again, that is using the grace of God for a purpose that it was never intended for. It was not intended to make up the difference for where you fall short. It was given, it is given, the grace and mercy of God is given for your entire being, for who you are as a person, for the totality of your existence, not just for those little parts in your life where you haven't quite become as obedient as you ought to be. They also might as well not have the grace of God in their life because they're not using it for its intended purpose. So you examine your life and determine to what degree Are you really trusting and relying on your repentance and obedience in your life? Because if there is any hint of any law, any repentance, obedience, any of that in your life at all, then you are not living according to his grace and mercy. Discover your inheritance in Christ and live according to the abundance of what you have in him. This is what he has called you to. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net